0: Good morning, Redemption Church. It's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Colin, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the college pastors here at Redemption. Uh, So I want to give a special welcome to the college students who are coming back for the second semester. We are glad you guys are back. We love you guys, Um, and and we're excited for uh, Salt Company Minneapolis to start up this Thursday. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be. Um, and you guys probably know this, but, but today is uh, January 15th, which is a kind of a, an important day, a sentimental day for a lot of us, because uh, it's the day where we decide if our 2023 New Year's resolutions are best suited to be continued for the rest of 350 days, or if they're better suited for us to try again next year. I know that's me, I'm gonna eat healthier this year. I'm gonna get my two week gym membership and ah, maybe, maybe better suited for next year, for 2024. That's my problem. So I end up not really liking New Year's resolutions because I, I don't always keep them. Uh, but for the past two years, I've had the same, now three years, I've had the same New Year's resolution, which is that I'm gonna read more. I'm gonna read more books, books of all types. I'm gonna read uh, books on culture, books on theology, on philosophy, on politics, and and I'm gonna do a deep dive into into certain topics to become more educated, more knowledgeable, uh, be able to to speak better about uh, the, the different things happening in our world and and every year i get to this time in the year i'll, I'll get a few books in I'll, I'll have loved reading them and then I'll, I'll get to a book that i just can't power through so a couple years ago it was a it was a book called uh, god's glory in salvation through judgment which the book was just as dense as the title makes it sound um it was like a textbook i got 30 pages in and just couldn't keep going I, I just couldn't do it. And so this year, uh, I changed my strategy a little bit. Instead of a number of books to read or a topic to master, my New Year's resolution this year was to, to embody a phrase, to spend my year going, going towards a phrase and that phrase is to love reading. I just want to love reading books. I wanna I wanna be someone that that dives into books and can get lost in them. And so why that changes things is because if I don't like a book, I'm gonna put it down and find a book that I want to read. I'm not set on I'm, I'm trying to force myself to, to learn something that maybe I don't want to learn actually at the time. Like once I get into it, I don't actually want to learn it. But my goal is that this year's different. Because love is an incredible motivator to keep going. Like love is actually a better motivator for me than knowledge. I wanna love something is a better motivator than I want to know something. And so today, as we open 1 Corinthians 8, what what Paul's exhortation to the church at Corinth is gonna be is that love Is actually better than knowledge. That love is a better decision-making framework. It's a better thing to pursue. It's a better motivator than knowledge is. And so we're going to come back to this idea this morning that love builds up. And and so how we're going to see that is it's a little bit Interesting this morning. We're getting into a, a little bit of an interesting part of First Corinthians 8 because the, the church at Corinth is starting to ask is starting or has asked these questions of Paul. And so Paul has walked through for six chapters on kind of laying the groundwork, and now we're getting into Paul answering these questions. And so this morning, the the question the Corinthian church is asking Paul is what can and cannot. What can I put on my grocery list, and what cannot? What what meats can I eat, and what do I need to stay away from? And so we're we're gonna dive into that. But what we're gonna see is that true knowledge of what you can and can't eat it is seen through the lens of what is loving. True knowledge is loving. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into the text this morning. This is verse one first corinthians 8 this is what it says now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up if anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know so As we continue to read in 1 Corinthians 8, what you're gonna see on the screen or in your Bible is these quotation marks. All of us possess knowledge, this knowledge, and what almost all uh, theologians can agree on is that these quotation marks weren't in original manuscripts, but they're helpful for us as the reader because what Paul's doing is he's quoting either the Corinthians' words to him in their quest in their letters asking him questions he's either quoting their words or quoting commonly known phrases that that this Corinthian church would know so so he's kind of giving them a framework for understanding what they're saying and then he's gonna answer their questions so he starts with now concerning food offered to idols so we kind of got to we got to get a framework for what's happening in Corinth before we can bring it to how, what that means for us today so what is happening in Corinth, is Corinth is this city, this elaborate city, that loves to throw big celebrations, loves to uh, celebrate momentous big events, like a lot like we do. But what's interesting is that these events are defined by two things, eating meat and worshiping pagan idols. And so the they throw these huge celebrations, let's say, for graduation, and they buy a big turkey, and and they invite the neighbors, and they say, come, let's celebrate the the graduation of our son or daughter, but then in the midst of that, they they give a toast, and they give this toast to maybe Athena, the, the goddess of reason, or logic, or maybe they're celebrating a uh, baby announcement. And so they're gathering all their friends and they're saying, let's celebrate together. But but then what they do is they they, they cut the, the meat and they give a prayer to Aphrodite, the, the goddess of fertility. And so it is with 17 different gods and, and deities that this pagan culture would have worshipped, would have prayed to. And so what we see in in Corinth is that eating meat is so closely tied with celebration and idol worship that the church is asking, can we even eat this meat? Because all of it is given to idols, and in fact, you can't even buy it without going to a pagan temple and and purchasing the meat from from a, a butcher shop that has already sacrificed this meat before an idol. So in Corinth, it's impossible to eat meat that hasn't been sacrificed to idols, and so they're asking this question, how do we interact in a culture that's so driven by pagan idol worship? But you can kind of imagine the letter, that the mature Christians in Corinth are writing to Paul. They probably say something like this, hey, Paul, we as the mature Christians, we that really know what's going on, we all possess knowledge that it doesn't really matter, we can eat this meat if we want, because we know those gods that it's sacrificed to aren't real anyways. So we, we feel the freedom to eat the meat. We can go to the party because they, they pray, but those prayers are meaningless. Those aren't real gods. We all possess this knowledge. We know what's going on. But some of the younger, less mature believers think it's bad because they used to worship these idols, and so they're, they're struggling. Paul, will you, will you help back us up and say they just need more knowledge? That, that they just need more knowledge to, so that they can eat meat and we can move on. So in Paul's response to this letter that the church at Corinth maybe writes, he said, we know that all of us possess knowledge. He's quoting them. He's saying, yes, we, we all do possess knowledge, but then goes on to say this knowledge that you think you have, it puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he, ha- he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. So if you think you know what's right, maybe you don't actually know what's right. This type of knowledge that they're using is a knowledge where they're using their theological understanding. There are no other gods, we worship one God, they don't understand yet. They're using like their mature theological understanding in order to disregard younger, less mature believers who are struggling to understand, is this okay? I used to work, like pray real prayers to these gods and now I'm kind of following this God, but, but what do I do? So the, the, the mature believers are saying, well, let's disregard them because they just don't understand yet. They don't know yet. So there there are two types of knowledge that Paul's describing, a knowledge that puffs up, but there has to be this other type of knowledge. But before we go any further, we have to ask ourselves now, in in a culture that we live in that loves knowledge, that loves degrees, that loves advancement and learning more, what kind of knowledge do we have? Do we have a knowledge that puffs up? Let's keep going. He says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. So is Paul saying, If you know anything, you don't yet know as you ought to know? So can I really know anything at all? No. Ten times in the the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Do you not know? So Paul loves knowledge, but he's distingu- distinguishing between a type of knowledge that puffs up and a different type of knowledge, a God-glorifying knowledge. So do we pursue a knowledge that puffs up or, or a knowledge that produces love for other people, a knowledge that disregards less mature believers or a type of knowledge that, that, that seeks to love the people around me? So maybe for you, you're, you're starting a, a Bible in a year plan. I want to know the Bible more, or I'm going to listen to more podcasts. I'm going to read more spiritual books, or maybe I'm just going to be more attentive in connection group, or on Sunday mornings, I'm going to learn more about what God has for me uh, in this life. I'm going to learn more things about God this year. So my question for you is, are you pursuing that knowledge as a Maybe as an understanding of, man, if I knew more, then I'd be in better standing with God. If I like, know more of the things of God, then he'll love me more. Or maybe if I learn more things about God, then, then I can just like navigate this world perfectly fine, really easy, because I'll know exactly what's right and what's wrong. I'll, I'll, know, I'll have this like, perfect sense of morality. Or maybe you're pursuing knowledge a, as a way for, Uh, your ego to grow or as a way for your life to be easier or as a a means to some sort of spiritual superiority. All of this, if that's like the primary driver of your knowledge, that's a knowledge that puffs up. But there's a knowledge that builds up. This is what Paul says in verse 3. But if anyone loves God he is known by God. Which is actually kind of unexpected because when we pair it with verse 2, it's different than we think it should be. Verse 2 says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. So we expect verse 3 to say, but if anyone knows as he ought to know, he's known by God. But instead, Paul says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So Paul's not This isn't an accident. He didn't make a mistake. Paul is equating this knowledge, these things that we ought to know, he's equating that with love for God. If you know as you ought to know, then you love God. That if you know anything at all, if there's anything to know in this world at all, and this remains true for us today, It's not just to know many things about God, though that's good. It's not just to know many things about your Bible, though that's good. It's for all those things to stir in your heart an affection for that God. That it would overflow in you. It would create a deep well in you of of a love for the God of the universe to see him as beautiful and that all the things you know about him would stir in your heart, worship for him. This is true knowledge. This is what it means to know something. This is the type of knowledge that Paul wants the Corinthian church to have. And so for us, when we have this knowledge, this true knowledge that really is love, this true knowledge which really is love, it changes our identity. It actually reshapes who we are and how we identify. Let's keep going in in verse four. This is what it says. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, or for us dealing with these kind of cultural issues, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords yet for us there is one god the father from whom all things and th- and for whom we exist and one lord Jesus Christ through whom all are all things and through whom we exist So as we continue to comp- con- contemplate the tensions that we see in first corinthians or in the corinthian church it's easy to kind of distance ourselves from them and say man we don't struggle with food or what to eat or even these so-called gods that that they worshipped like when i go to the grocery store it's pretty easy i kind of i'm thinking of two things does this look good appetizing and is this like decently healthy for me and every once in a while it's really only one of those things like does it just look good i'm gonna cheat a little um, but we, we don't struggle in the grocery store. Like, we don't struggle with what to eat and, and, and whether we can eat meat or not. But we do have cultural distinctives, things in our culture that we as Christians need to learn how to navigate. Like the Corinthian church, we maybe need to be quicker to ask the question, I know this, but do I really know it? Like for us, we're not struggling with what we can eat, but maybe we're, we're struggling with how to navigate uh, social understanding, right? Like we live in this world that worships this perfect social, uh, cultural understanding of morality that you should know exactly what to do and, and what organizations to support and what not to support. Like we live in this world that loves that. And so as Christians, how, how do we navigate it? What do I know, but also what's loving? Right? Like we need our identity to be formed to, to make those distinctions, or maybe our political leanings. Man, the Bible doesn't talk about the right or the left, so I have the, the freedom to to choose like what do I know to be true and what's gonna be loving? Or alcohol. Same thing. Kind of what do what do I know I can do in my Christian freedom? And what's loving to do? Mask wearing, like think back, or even now, like still present. How do do we think about that? We actually find ourselves in a lot of ways similar to the church at Corinth with these things put before us in culture that we need to learn how to navigate. We need to know how to accept parts of it, reject parts of it, navigate these different perspectives that people have on it. And what our culture's done is they've made these markers mini-gods that we have to look to and we have to, we have to know exactly what we're going to do. We have to know all the things there are to know about it in order to, to be accepted. And so for, for us, we, we have to ask ourselves if we're more concerned with how we stand in these different areas, in our social understanding and our political understanding and our mask-wearing policy and our understanding of how we view alcohol and, and a whole many others, are we more concerned with how we view these or are we more concerned with how God's love for us changes who we are? Right, because our identity is actually changed when we have this true knowledge. And so are we, are we kind of using the, the knowledge to perfectly navigate these social uh, issues or are we seeing that true knowledge actually means first and foremost that I am someone who's loved by God and should seek to love other people? You see, our, our tendency is to jump ahead forgetting our primary identity, thinking that our primary identity comes when we figure out all these answers to these questions. But before we navigate cultural issues, we need to look at the one who's created all cultures, the one who lords over all cultures. We need to first know who we belong to, who we are, how God sees us, the names he's written on our lives before we can navigate the world around us. What I'm saying is the order matters. The other day, uh, I was driving, got lost, classic. Uh, So I'm driving, I pull out my phone in order to pull up my maps to uh, navigate to where I need to go, And uh, I don't know if this is true of your phone, it's true of my phone, but always the first thing to go on my phone is the location service. Internet works just fine, Fine, like satellite, I don't know how that works, some of you guys do. Uh, Satellite finding, GPS tracking my phone, that on my phone has gone off the rails. So right, it, it, it pulls up the map and I hit start on the directions. It actually is giving me the directions of where to go, but then my blue dot that tells me where I am is like in the middle of a field. Just like, that's not helpful. Directions, super helpful. Knowing, me thinking I'm driving my car in a warehouse, not helpful. Okay, <laughs> Four maps, to be effective on your phone, your location service needs to work first, the blue dot needs to recognize where you are first, and then it needs to give you the directions of how to navigate going forward. But if your blue dot's in the wrong place, the directions, no matter how good or bad they may be, will not be helpful to you while you're driving. And so for us as as Christians, but before we navigate these cultural issues in the world, which is important, not saying they're not important, but I'm saying before we get to that place, we need to know who we are, where we stand, and how God sees us. And our identity in light of that. We need to first understand that we are hidden in Christ, right? The the text says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things exist and through whom we exist. Our very existence is an overflow of God's existence. That when we're wrapped up in Christ, when we believed, when we given our life to him because of he gave his life to us, all of a sudden our identity completely shifts. And so I think a, a, as a church, we need to implement rhythms of regularly remembering who we are in Christ. And so for me, these, these are just some rhythms that, are pretty simple, but have really grounded me in this. Just a morning rhythm of opening God's Word. Getting up a little earlier and opening up God's Word, reading through it, and remembering who He says that I am. A nightly rhythm of quieting my heart before God. That God doesn't need to sleep, but I do, that He has loved me, that whether I have succeeded or failed that day, my identity in Him has not changed. I have a weekly rhythm of reminding myself that I, in fact, am not God, which I, I need daily, but weekly of just Sabbathing, stepping away from the, from the busyness, from all the things, the to-do lists. Though all those things help me to reorient my heart and remember that my identity is grounded in who Jesus says that I am. That true knowledge is loving him, not knowing perfectly how to navigate the world. I need to remember my identity. And so for you, in 2023, what rhythms can you implement to remind yourself that your standing before God is of primary importance? That before you go out into the world, go out into work, you need to remember who Jesus says that you are. Because it's at that point, it's when we remember who we are In light of what we know to be true, that that God loves us. In in light of understanding God's love for me as as an identity-shaping statement. I'm not shaped by the culture around me, I'm shaped by who who, who he says that I am. It's at that point that I can walk into culture and I can say, okay, let me try to, to the best of my ability, navigate this world around me. That our identity, then shapes how we view this knowledge of the world. So we're going back to the beginning that, okay, now what do we do with knowledge? This is what verse seven says. However, not all possess this knowledge, right? There are some less mature believers that don't know the things that the the mature believers know. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So Paul's saying that okay, this struggle that's happening between the less mature believers and the more mature believers where the more mature believers are kind of pushing them off to the side and saying we know that we can do this and the less mature believers are kind of struggling because they're saying I used to do that like really praying to those gods but now I know there's only one God but now I'm getting confused. Is there more than one God? Right? They're just, they're young. They're, they're figuring it out. And Paul says it doesn't matter what you eat. Like you eat he's kind of like taking a shot at, at both people a little bit, but I think the shot is kind of at uh, the the really mature believers, where, where he, he's, he's kind of saying, like, it doesn't matter. Your meat consumption does not dictate your standing before God. Your knowledge does not dictate your standing before God. And so for you, your ability to navigate perfectly hot-button issues in our culture does not dictate your standing before God. It... it your standing before God doesn't matter if, it is not affected if you can perfectly articulate theology or cultural issues. Because our understanding of knowledge has been completely changed, shifted, and the primary goal of our knowledge is no longer even about us. Like, this is, this is crazy. All the things that we know now like the things of this world, the things that, that, that matter to culture, all these things now are an overflow of our love for God and a love for others. And so the way we view our knowledge is not what can I do, but what's most helpful to do. Here's what Paul's trying to get at is that the key to your knowledge is not fa- found in your perfect decision-making but in you removing yourself from decision-making. Here's how I heard it said, is that the goal of knowledge is not to be right, but to be redemptive. Right, because I'm trying to remove myself from the situation and, and see others in the situation. So here's kind of two questions that have helped me navigate hard hard. Uh, issues or whether I should should or shouldn't do something two questions as kind of a test for how I'm doing first question am i loving god am i loving god is this true knowledge this thing that i think i'm doing that i think is right am i doing it because it brings honor glory and majesty to the name of jesus Yes, good, he's given me the freedom to do that. I'm, I'm being obedient to his word, to the leaning of the spirit, to my community. Uh, I, I can move forward with that decision-making, but Paul's argument is that's not where it should stop, but there's a second question you should ask, which is this. What is helpful and loving to the people around me? What is helpful and loving to the people around me? How am I navigating these cultural and social issues And how will that reflect how other people view my walk with Jesus or how other people view who God is and what following him looks like? Like, this this isn't just a preference thing for us as believers. Paul goes as far to say this in verse 12. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So he's saying when... When I when I'm over here and I say I I can do that, like I I can eat meat because it's in my Christian freedom to do, but I'm hurting the person in my connection group that's struggling with that. I'm I'm not just like doing the less preferable thing, I'm actually sinning. But I think like I'm prone to do this in in different ways. For example, Take now or a year ago, uh, mask wearing. Like, what, how I should have thought about it is what's gonna be loving to the person around me, not what can or can't I do, right? So in, in that situation, maybe, I'm not gonna insist on my own way. So if the people I'm with aren't, aren't wearing masks, then I feel comfortable not wearing a mask, I'm gonna not wear a mask. But if the people I'm with are wearing masks, Even if I think it's in my freedom to not wear a mask, I'm gonna put one on. Because I'm gonna seek those people out. Because it's gonna be loving to them for me to do that. Not to insist on my own way, but to to seek them out, to become like them so that I can share God's love for them. Or for them through me. Right? Or another example that came up in my life uh, just this couple weeks ago is uh, when the snow just dumped uh, so many feet on all of our driveways, I uh, realized that my snowblower was broken, uh, which was horrible, um, but my neighbor, really great guy, met him, he's new, he's a new neighbor, came over, he took his snowblower, did my driveway in about five minutes, I was really thankful for that. Uh, so we ended up chatting, right? And uh, he's new, I, I'd never met him before, and so we're, we're talking and, and he's like, man, like, I love to get to know my, my neighbors, we should grab a beer sometime. It's like, great, that's awesome. And you know what, next week when we hang out, when I grab a beer with him, I'm gonna buy his beer because he was able to snow blow my driveway. But I also wanna say like, man, it's in my freedom to do that. But in a different sense, when I'm hanging out with a college freshman, we're getting dinner, I'm not gonna look at that college freshman and be like, I'm gonna get a beer. You can't. But it's in my freedom to do. So there you go. You know, like, Jesus lets me do it because I'm 21, so have fun drinking your Dr. Pepper. <laughs> like, I'm ordering a Dr. Pepper. Why? Because that's actually the most loving thing I can do for that freshman. Is say, like, man, I'm going to become like you. Not, not in sin, but I'm, I'm, gonna, like, I, I'm just going to do what allows you to see Jesus as more beautiful. With the same motivation that I'm maybe going to get a beer with my neighbor but it's okay like it's okay if you don't drink maybe you still go to the bar and you buy his beer and you get the doctor pepper maybe you say hey like could we meet at a coffee shop instead and you still buy his coffee like we're we're making decisions not out of what's right and what's wrong but like what allows me to love god and how can i pursue the people around me in love How can I make them feel loved? How can I allow help them see Jesus as beautiful? Paul's saying that we should adopt this way of living that orients our entire lives around loving people. Like this is especially true of our church. Praise God that we have a church that has new believers like all the time. And if you're a new believer or an unbeliever, just want you to know you are so welcome here. We love you so much. But also, to those of you that have been following Jesus for, for a while, like, we need to think critically about what's gonna be most loving to the new believers in our church. Even for, like, for me, I, in so many ways, I'm still figuring it out and there are mature people in our church that, that have helped me like avoid pitfalls. And so, would, this, like, would our church hear this word? Because it matters. We're shaping the way our, the young believers in our church will follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. So it's not just about what's right and what's wrong, it's about what's loving, what, what's helping grow them and mature them and help them follow Jesus for a long time. And we can have this mind among ourselves because Jesus had it with us. Right, like, I can love the sinner because was and in a lot of ways still am the sinner that Jesus loved. Like he glorified the Father and sought to love sinners and so we as a church, those of us that are believers can say I can seek to glorify the Father and set my own aspirations, my own even preferences aside in order to love and pursue the, the unbeliever or the less mature believer in my life. As so a redemption, as we learn and grow this year, there are two outcomes of our knowledge. We can pursue a knowledge that leads to pride and then destruction and hurting people's walk with Jesus, or we can seek humility first. Because before we can have true knowledge, a knowledge that leads to love and building others up, we actually need to be a humble people. We need to see that it's actually not about us. And so would humility take our eyes off of ourselves Allow us to see the people around us. Before we can meet the needs of people, we see the needs of people. Before we can find ways to serve and build people up, we need to see that there are people that need to be served. Before we can seek to love people, love the people in our church, love the people in our lives, we need to see that there are people that need to be loved. So when we take our eyes off of ourselves, would we see the world without seeing ourselves first, Let's pray. God, thank you that uh, before I was worthy, before I had fixed my life, before I had gotten my things together, you saw me. You saw me in my sins, saw me in my weakness, saw me in my brokenness, and you pursued me by going to the cross for me. That God, in seeing that, in in seeing the identity that you have given me, would you help all of us to see in a different way the people around us, to love in a different way the people around, around us. God, not to lord our knowledge over people, but to use all the knowledge that you have given to us as a means to loving others, to setting aside preferences that help us to orient our lives around you primarily and then loving others, reconciling the world to you. God, we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.